shit, Abe. Well, oh, God. Oh, I did what? it again. What did you do, What man? movie did you watch for this? What were we supposed I to watch? Watched, I watched 1998's Rushmore. What did you watch? Oh, I watched Tushmore. Oh, my God. Where Eddie Murphy bit. drinks a potion and it gets a big giant tushy. Oh, my God. He he gets a tushy that's too big? Yeah, and he lives in Are a there... mountain in South Dakota carved in the shape of a giant tush. Oh, my God. It's, it's like, really oh, sad. He's got a tushy lair. I bet he has hijinks because he's he can't. He's, his tushy's too big, I bet. Uh-huh. But I could wing it. I could talk Rushmore. I have seen it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Then All let's right. do that. How's that opening bit wearing on you? You like that still? Uh, I absolutely hate it. But <laughs> you know what? I'm here. I'm here to be supportive. Like so many of our characters in this film probably would have been better if they've just been, you know, loved a little bit more and walked through life. But, you know, that's just uh, that's just me. All right. Well, Kings of King always starts with an improvised song. And uh, this is always going to start with that, (laughs) whatever that is. No, I got it. Unless we think of something better. So we'll see. I love it. I wanted to avoid because the last one really worked, but then everyone was predicting that I would just do the simple transposition and it would be mushroar Mm -hmm. about a lion made of mushrooms or fungus or something. And I wanted to circumvent that. So Here's that's the where thing. I went with it. As long as I've known you, when they expect you to zig, you've always zagged. So I'm a contrarian. I think, I think, you know, I think uh, if you want to keep doing this bit, I think you're going to best our comment section. And I, I set that up as a challenge. I actually think that uh, they could come at you and you'd, Great. you'd be fine. You're encouraging them to come at mm-hmm. me. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Anders Sons. I'm Michael Swaim. I'm Abe Epperson. And we'll be discussing the works of both P.T. and Wes Anderson. This time it's a Wes. Hey, 98. We're, mm-hmm. we're kind of doing a chronological bit, but we're switching between the two. There it is. Rushmore. You remember this film. Basically, everyone's seen it, but we're going to dissect it, as you'd expect from a show like this that does a deep dive mm-hmm. uh, at an atomic level. So get strapped in for that. And uh, just so we can follow like our character arcs, Abe, we yep. we covered Bottle Rockets, and I believe I started that episode by saying, "Oh, maybe," because Abe historically is not as into Wes Anderson as PT. That's at least fair to say, right? That's fair. Um, That's, yeah. And I was like, I do see problems with Bottle Rockets, and see previous episode, but yeah, I still do. But Abe, I really, really like Rushmore. It's very, yeah. very good. <laughs> I definitely put it in the top two that I've seen. I haven't seen all of the Wes, Wes. Anderson's. Okay. I put it in the top two. It's definitely the best of it. I still think that there's legacy problems that I have, but this is the most suited. I'm pretty and excited exp- about it. I'll, pl- I'll, I'll Black hair, why. oval face. <laughs> I'll try to explain why I think that this is less like a... Uh, you know, of an issue yeah, for me. Sure. And I know this is all my hangups. Just enjoy films. Hey, hey, why can't you just enjoy toys? They're made, they're made for you to enjoy. What's going on? Uh the the reason is is because I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> just, uh, oh, God. The, yeah, no, no. I just had I was blown no, back the, to, from the microphone. 
by pretension. No, the reason the reason is just because it never really suited my sentiment, like tality. Like the things that he focuses on, Didn't I just don't tality. care much. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah, it's my palady. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't know, man. I just I don't like. I feel like if we were to have a conversation at a party, he's just one of the people I'd be like. I don't think we're going to vibe, but that's all. He still makes films that are like well-crafted and all that. I've said this much in the last episodes, but that's like my caveat for this episode. So you're going to get someone who loves it. You're going to get someone who doesn't like the guy, but thinks this is probably one of his better films. Sure. Here we go. And correct me if I'm wrong. We return to the spectra formula or am I being thrown off by tragedy of Macbeth? No, no, no. It's uh, it's it's the same as Coen Brothers, brothers. So we have diegesis, yeah, right. pedagogy, and how do you, how do you do that? Okay, we are we're doing it through the three spectra, huh? Yeah, yeah that's how quite, we do this film. There was holidays. There was a gap, big gap, but I'm yeah, back in it. Well, it's because the middle one, the the, mm-hmm. the Stephen's King, uh, that yeah. is the one that we 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 decided to name them different. All right, enough of that. All right. So this film opens with a family portrait in front of red curtains. Uh, the portrait, I think, notably has Murray as Bloom's. What's his name? Howard Bloom? Herman Bloom. Herman Bloom. Uh, smoking a cigarette. And then the curtains part to reveal the grimy Rushmore sign. This is going to be too slow, Abe. So hop in if you can do it more efficiently. But Yeah, yeah. But I think it is important to point out so we don't have to do it every time. Yeah. Uh, there is a curtain, literal curtain in this film that does, I think it's, I believe it's I think it's, it's a notable times. maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. It's every time it like goes to, all right, October, December, or like the end or Rushmore. Um, so it's the, he's definitely setting, which I do think is important for later. Um, he's setting up the system of proscenium, uh, of performance, the theater. We'll explain exactly in the next section why we think that is. Why? Because it comes from this long pedigree of films doing that theater. There's kind of, um, for people who aren't like, who don't like, uh, surround themselves around, you know, some of the, some of that as much, um, Mm-hmm. There's like a there's there's a reason to do that, and it says something to people because people have been doing it for literally a hundred years. But really, the film film starts in math class where uh, right. a kid is asking about an equation on a wall that is, ne- and the teacher says it's no never one's been ever solved. solved it. Yeah, no mathematician, and if it is solved, you get an A forever. In fact, the whole class would get an A for an ever, forever. And so the teacher brings it upon himself to ask mask max who you were introduced uh that's jason Schwartzman, max fisher the you know main character rushmore um yeah, he's, he's like well do you want to try he's introduced as a badass he sips tea folds yeah. his newspaper down in an ornate drains his school jacket porcelain cup yeah. god i hate it teacher tosses in the chalk he snatches it out of the air flute trills in the soundtrack and then he goodwill hunting's this shit yeah he but solves it teacher says it's as if you goodwill hunting it. it's like of all the brains, it came from a janitor. It's yeah. like, no, in this one, it's like the guy that everyone was like, this guy will solve that equation. And he does. Everyone does it. He dunks the chalk more more or less. Ah, everyone goes crazy, solves the equation. And then we realize it's a dream. He's actually in a like a a, a chapel and he's listening mm-hmm. to Herman Bloom speak. Bill Murray speak he tells them Mm -hmm. that they're lucky to go to rushmore and (laughs) sort of uh becomes deadpan and says take aim at the rich boys and take them down they can buy anything but they can't buy backbone don't let them forget that so like we can tell 
he's over life. He has a chip on his shoulder in some way and yeah. has sort of a radical he's way about him, right? No filter. Yeah. Um, Cut to Max, who's writing down notes. In because, co- perfect calligraphy. Yeah, in perfect calligraphy, as is, you know, every character in a Wes Anderson film. Um, but he uh, he really, he's like enamored. While everyone else is kind of sleepy, it's... Yeah. It's interesting because I actually went to one of these types of schools. Um, I went to a Rushmore for high school. All right. So that's I kinda, clearly pedagogy. We'll get into that. Yeah. I just wanted we, to say this, yeah. this scans. This All right. Scans. Um, so, yeah, he writes this guy, best chapel speaker I have ever seen in like perfect mm-hmm. calligraphy. And I have to point out, this is the only film where it's justified that he writes in cal- perfect calligraphy, though. Yes. Um, so anyway, Max. Yeah. Max gives a standing. Oh, well, no one else cares. Murray and Brian Cox, uh, who plays Dr. Guggenheim, are then leaving the chapel. Who's like the dean of, uh, of, the, dean of the school yeah. of Rushmore. Yeah. Uh, and Bloom says, I paid for the whole natatorium. The least little shits can do is hear me out, like justifying his speech. And then Max approaches to say how much he enjoyed the speech and how much it meant to him. And he like mirrors him and does sort of social engineering. He's com- clearly stuff. enamored. Yeah. yeah. And uh, comports himself well enough that when he leaves, Bill Murray goes like, that's a sharp little guy. And he clearly made yeah. a good impression. And there's a pause. And then Dr. Guggenheim says, he's one of the worst students we've got. <laughs> like in a sort it's of It's pretty solid. And it's way. signaling yeah. pretty early on that Max is the type of person that once he gets obsessed, uh, he's all into that thing. Huge montage. Uh, and that's kind of how he does. Of frankly too many things. But- 41 or something different clubs that either founded or is the captain of or the president of uh, ending with like four and a half flight hours logged in pilot training or whatever. The only thing I want to notice, uh, like I want to point out because most in of it's like lacrosse team manager, debate stamps, stuff that you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fencing Nerdy club stuff, president. But like I get it. But sometimes they really made the like, for example, uh, it's just dodgeball. But Wes Anderson decides that this type of school would call it bombardment. I just think that that's like the most bombardment society. He's the founder of bombardment society, which is just like I don't know. It's just uh, I just I can't I can't enjoy it. (laughs) Russia at the model UN trap and ski club founder beekeepers president noticeable yeah. yeah. Go kart racing, uh, which has derby racer founder yeah. Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson driving go karts, and in the of back course of that shot. the most important one, Max Fisher, players director. So the next thing we're going to be introduced to is that he writes and directs plays, and that mm-hmm. that's something uh, he actually does seem to follow through on uh, and, and is obsessed yeah. with. So yeah. then we get the next curtain, which is September, and it's on. Did you notice it goes? The curtains go RGB. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, if it that means makes anything. sense. I mean, that's like the pa- uh, that's the palette of the film. Of film, right? No, generally. Of, well, I mean, this film in general. Aren't project- in specific. Don't projectors do of- RGB? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, like all media is well, well, not print, not, but like yeah. RGB. <laughs> uh, is, is like how you. It's how your eyes work. Um, Anyway, um, so it could mean something could just be good. Well, it's just that sense. it's the pa- I think it's his design sense because it's yeah. the palette of this film. Like if you look at the strong blues, you look at the strong reds, you look at the strong. They're always pronounced. <laughs> yeah, so the scene is Dr. Guggenheim. <laughs> it's basically Animal House, dude, telling him that he's on sudden death academic yeah. probation and he'll. 
<laughs> fail out of Rushmore if he flunks another class. He's he, kind of not good yeah, at class. He goes, or not kind of. He really isn't good at school. Too many extracurriculars, Max, not enough studying. Dr. Guggenheim, and I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but the fact is, no matter how hard I try, I still might flunk another class. If I have to mm-hmm. stay on for a postgraduate year, then so be it. We don't offer a postgraduate year. Well, we don't offer it yet. Um, just a great, great encapsulation of both the characters letting them play off each other in the most perfect way oh, yeah. possible. Because very fun banter. Because the the really refreshes is also the crusty so old dean thing. It's if the crusty old dean that- was right, like totally right. <laughs> It's because Brian Cox is immutable. He's just the stone character that is just like, he says something and you're like, well, that's just the truth. Yeah. Uh, that's what his presence kind of affords. Max is a guy who's an overreacher. So he thinks he, like he braces the news uh, with like a misplaced understanding that it's a negotiation. Uh, it's a tactic he uses all the time. Right. Um, and he mentions like, I got into Rushmore because- uh, I wrote a Watergate play in the second grade. Can't we do it for old time's sake? Which is a reference like directly imp- to Godfather. It's impressive on its face, but if you dig deeper, I'm sure it was some kind of sham or not good or half-assed. Sure. Yeah, um, it's all, yeah. Yeah. And you get that impression that there's a long history of this because he tells Dirk, who's like his little sidekick, that they're trying to kick him out. And Dirk's response is, oh, no, not again. So this happens all the time. But we get the impression it's new that he's going to get expelled. Like, that's a new element. He has to float by and they say no. And that's news to him. So he says, what are you going to do? He says, I'll pull some strings with the administration, which you already know. Well, that's meaningless. He can't do that. Um, Cut. Yeah. To library where he notices someone wrote in the Jack Cousteau book uh, that he's reading and he holds like for most of the film. And it's just another quote from a Jack Cousteau. Like, so it's not mm-hmm. even like it's not even like uh, vandalism. But it but resonates point, with him. He does point it out to uh, the librarian. Who oh, God, out, dude. But you can't skip that beat is so great right. in terms of I know you're trying to speed us along, but this is what it is. Uh, the transition between because all the film grammar leads you to believe that he's being inspired by the quote, which in fact he is because he's going to become obsessed with the person who wrote it. <laughs> right. Yeah, That is it's, funny. It's yeah. like. When one man, for whatever reason, has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary yeah. <laughs> life, he has no right to keep it to himself. And you're like, oh, that's him. It's impacting him. Yeah, Hard cut no. to him reporting the vandalism to the security guard. It tells you what kind of guy Max is, yeah. which is, you know, it's it's act one is like really good. Yeah. Like it's solid. Like really no notes other, you know, for, for yeah. in general. It's, it's so, all in the Criterion Collection. Everyone loves this film. He quickly tracks down the person who wrote the quote, who's Miss Cross, the new teacher at the school. And mm. he looks through the basically the window in her door at her teaching. And film grammar tells us that he falls in love with her. You know what I mean? Like it's just apparent that he's right. into her now. And then you cut to him directing a play about hard-boiled cops, which is it? an adaptation of anything because i know he does serpico later but and carlito's way at one point i think uh yeah they like um no they're all fictionalized but it's just the idea that they're all tropes of stuff like there's uh there's a quote in this movie of heat like he's just taking pop culture serpico is definitely literally an adaptation of serpico he also just does stuff where he's just like i want something like that like let's 
like I'm writing an original play, uh, you know, and but I I want it to like, but let's make sure she has cocaine or something like that. It's always adult themed, and sometimes he you know uh, seems to cover do covers so to speak. Yeah. Um, After yeah. rehearsal, why don't you take it? The well, I believe isn't this where he? Uh, it's the I thought it was the next day. Does he have a rehearsal bit? I I didn't write it down. I have next. There's that jokes Max in rehearsal, but the next thing is Dirk's mom picking him up. Yeah, in the Jaguar. So one. Max hits on Dirk's mom, which if you see the Rosemary Cross stuff, he's kind of he, Max is kind of the type of person who does this kind of thing. He sees an attractive woman and is like, I need, I think I got a shot. So she, you know, kindly thanks him for taking an interest in his friendship with Dirk. Cause Dirk's this kind of like tiny little boy who, you know, could be bullied, I guess. And Miss Calloway is just thanking Max who's slightly bigger. Uh, thanks for like keeping him from the bullies. Uh, in the sequence, they kind of do introduce the bully. Um, what's his name? Bucking. His name is. Yeah. I also think there's an implied system, like a big brother, little brother system at the school. Yeah. Because he picked yeah. him as chapel partner or something. He's and, also wearing his safety patrol sash during right. this. So it's another extracurricular we have. So he's seen. officially a sidekick. And uh, he gives her his card, which says Rushmore Extension 23. So he just mm -hmm. completely exists as a. Part he's play of acting. He's like, yeah. I'm a real deal, but he's not a real deal. That's what Max's deal is. Yeah. So Bucken says he would have banged her by now if, like, if he was uh, flirting In with this mom, which yeah. Max essentially is. And Max says, "Tell that ugly Scottish gorilla to shut his fat face." And we reveal Bucken shooting spit wads at kids and laughing. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to me how much it is just a refreshment of. Almost the Futurama Robot House episode oh, because yeah, the tropes are tropes. crusty old yeah. Dean and like very traditional bully. Yeah, I mean, kind of traditional. He always got to put his Wes Anderson spin on it. And this one, yes. I guess, it's that he's got a Scottish accent, um, yeah, which is an interesting way to put a spin on something. But right. Max, uh, right, this happens next. Yeah, Max spots Max Mr. Herman. Bloom. Yeah, yeah. picking uh, up his kids and runs over to say hi. Bill asks, what's the secret, Max? He says, I think you just got to find something you love to do and do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Then we meet his kids, Ronnie and Donnie, who fight for and shotgun. They suck. <laughs> they, yeah. they suck. They're not polite like Max, which is a unique you know, thing that we, you, you start to notice because like. Uh, Herman lights up when Max speaks, you know, right. like he, even though Max seems to linger and want to be in his presence in a clingy way, uh, Herman is lonely and needs that kind of thing is the vibe we're starting to get. Uh, next scene, Max gets a haircut from oh, a classic. Well, sorry, sorry, before oh, okay. we move on, asks yeah. if he invited, cause he's starting to take a shine to him, but I think people would think we're remiss if we didn't mention Bill Murray reaching back and hitting his kid after he tells him, sure. take your head out of your ass, dad. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Go ahead. Yeah. Max gets a haircut from, I just wanted to point it out that they, he reveals the scene uh, not in the way where you know it's his dad. We realize later it's his dad. But it's like he's getting a haircut from a classic barber, which is once again, like, it's one of those things that I just say it's unnecessary, unnecessary tweet. That's where my flag goes up and I go, why did you do that? Why did you reveal it like that? And it's because the only thing that really motivated Wes Anderson I can think of is to in induce a little bit more style a little bit more mystique and add some like 
you believe for a second that Max is the kind of guy who would go to uh, like a barber, like do a very an adult thing, I guess. Um, but then you realize because he's like reading the newspaper while it happens. You realize that he's just a child. That part I do think is intentional and I think is good. I just think it's, it's you know, I just wanted to notice uh, that he did I think that. there's the meaning I got from it is that it's form follows function in the sense that we will find out as a recurring thing that he tells people that his father's a neurosurgeon. And one of the signs of growth that's very concrete for the end of the screenplay is for him to start introducing his dad as my dad's a barber and I don't give a shit. I'm proud. Um, and therefore sure. we, the audience are experiencing that as well. We're introduced to him not knowing that's his dad and then find out it is, you know, and it sort of mirrors what's going to happen later is that's, one thought I had. No, that's absolutely true. Uh, he signs his son's bad, bad grades yeah. uh, and shows that he also doesn't care much, care too much for schools. Uh, he'd be fine if, you know, like Max went anywhere. He didn't really go anywhere, uh, but he clearly has, is engaged in Rushmore. He wants him to su- uh, succeed, but he doesn't, he's not the type of dad who's like, you have bad grades, you need to be better. He just, oh, you almost got an 87 because he takes right. a 37 and just completes the three just supportive and, and nice basic dude yeah he's and uh, just like, i think notable most people will probably point you know pick out at this point that they live adjacent to a cemetery which is mm-hmm. just like in film oh, you know grammar you're like that's interesting that'll come back sure yeah well i mean <laughs> yeah i just am like I like graveyards. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a very Wes Anderson thing. Oh, uh, yes. But here we go. Max introduces himself uh, <clears throat> to Rosemary mm-hmm. by offering Ms. a light. She smokes. It's an he American spirit, light, by the way. Does a very cool thing. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, I mean... Okay. I, that's I'll why look. I mention it. It's the most Wes Anderson <laughs> possible brand of cigarettes. Wes- well... What is it? There's another one. God, it's been so long. What's this? What's the smokes that? Is it Neiman? Marcus? No. No, yes. that's a fancy store. That's a fancy Nat store. Sherman? I don't know. There's one. Nat Sherman's. That's what I was thinking. Is it? Of. All right. Yeah, because they're like colorful and stuff. That's the mm. most West Anderson oh, okay. cigarette to me. Uh, I think smoking they're... literally a pastel stick is probably the most West Anderson. <laughs> yeah, that's in that direction. Yeah, but otherwise, American Spirits. Yeah. For at least in my in the era that I was like, you know, like in our college era, that was always the like elitist cigarette. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's still true, but that that's just like. To me, in this era, in like that was true. Uh, so he says, but, "Where yeah. did you go to school?" She says, "Harvard." He says, "What a coincidence!" My top schools are Oxford and the Sorbonne. My safety's Harvard. <laughs> My safety's Harvard. Even though we know what the fuck we know. He says he's going to double major in math and pre med, which we know isn't true. Uh, Great, and they discuss use of the over exaggerated sound of the bleachers clanging every time he yes. makes a status shift move toward or away from his goal. Right. He wants to be next to her and we develop this film grammar of like, he's going to come closer and it goes clang, 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 or he's going to retreat and it goes clang, clang, clang. It's great. That is the shit. That is the shit that Wes Anderson is really good at. Like the idea of taking form and turning it into a sound cue. That's a great filmmaker. You know, that's why you're going to love the fantastic Mr. Fox, dude. It's choices like that. Um, 
She says her thesis was in Latin American economies. He mentions that they're canceling Latin uh, and they have some sort of like semi-romantic repartee. But you get the impression that she's just being normal and polite to a student. Yeah, which she does most of the film uh, yeah. with the exception of some stuff. But yeah. Um, and just as a like we jumped ahead from like a previous conversation, mm -hmm. uh, Latin is something that uh, <laughs> is something that Max wants to get rid of. He's like, it's a dead language. Mm -hmm. So in his opinion, we already know in this movie, he doesn't he's actually a proponent of he's one of the people that she would be like, Oh, that's a shame. But he immediately reverses. Right. Actually, uh, she says, she says a Latin phrase, Nilo sanctum est or something. And he, he goes, what's that? Oh, it's Latin. Isn't it? Oh, it's like, Latin. You can hear the hate in his but voice. But then he comes back with another more Latin. Yeah. Sick trans glory. Which I don't, which I don't understand. It becomes like a, I don't, I don't understand what that move is because Max wouldn't be a guy who understands Latin, so he wouldn't be smooth to pull off that apt Here's quote what I was hoping, back at her. And it doesn't come true. No, it does. Uh, I think that's in reference to the shot at the end where he finally see his mother's gravestone. We realize that's why they live by the cemetery. And her gravestone says, all glory eventually fades as part of her epitaph so he got it from the so i assume he learned stone. that in latin because it's on his mother's gravestone that, so he's obsessed with is, the phrase now my question is why is that on a gravestone but anyway this is neither here nor there it's movies it's a pretty uh, good movie she, anyway she he quickly circulates it. a petition and gets latin to get be required now for yes. all grades <laughs> yes and in fact people hate him for it the bully and bullies him again him, why don't yeah. you just piss off you dirty wee skid mark is but the, he doesn't is care. That <laughs> is that like he doesn't care? This no. is his new obsession. This is his mm. new Rushmore. This woman, um, and she, of course, and now she's it becomes because she's Olivia Williams, dueling Pepe Le Pew's, uh, just sexually harassing yes. a reasonable woman, which is a big flaw of the film. I think. I mean, as, it's, as you it's, watch it now, yeah, yeah. I'd say actually, it's not that their advances are so crazy. Like it's not Pepe Le Pew in that respect. And only uh, when Max they are clingy and like I'm gonna be here now, and they lie. There's a lot of bad stuff. I'm gonna blame them for that. But I also think that the writer, the writing of it, makes her like, oh, it's fine. Um, and that's like, I don't know if that's true. You know what I mean? It's like it's less. That yeah, that's my issues. I just honestly yeah. think it gets to that point for me when Max literally like puts his hand around her head and tries to force her into a yeah, kiss. And with she's him. like, I'll give him a pass. And he's a 15 year old student point. and yeah. she's a teacher. It's like it just is very intense. Yeah. And that could and be by a design. It, you know, that may be the it's point not of the that greatest. Scene. It's not the greatest. And it's also very indicative of 98. I'm not going to throw Wes Anderson on the bus for being particularly. No, I love this movie. This <laughs> yeah. It I'm just, just saying me. like, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that 98 bumps you. And on top of that, it's, he's using it as an effect of in like, Oh, this is endearing. And that's, uh, that's a little more than casual. Not endearing, but he quickly after that learns his lesson and grows and we're like, okay, he's he's all good. And I'm like, is he? That was pretty far. He went Do pretty we? far. <laughs> yeah, that's that's we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he spends more time. Oh, no, we should go back to their I I advanced. To the wrestling really scene. 
Yeah, so next is they're at a wrestling meet, which seems like Max is not on the team at first. He and Bloom discuss again, and their you know, a banter, of course, is like two professional colleagues. Uh, and that we find out that Max isn't wasn't invited to the twins' birthday party. So Bloom offers uh, him to come. He declines. He says he's got a previous uh, engagement. Uh, but Bloom kind of seeing how graceful Max is at yeah. this moment, decides to offer him a job mm-hmm. saying, I need people like you. And Mac, uh, and that is interrupted by Max. Uh, well, Max says, look, Mr. Bloom, my dad may just be a neurosurgeon, but we manage. <laughs> yeah. which yeah. Uh, and then we reveal that uh, they call his number. Max is actually on the wrestling team. Yeah, he, he gets, gets out of the flip. suit, and under his suit is his you know wrestling uniform, and he is absolutely creamed, uh, which mm-hmm. is a nice little bit. Is that he's master? Uh, yeah, he's just a jack, jack of, of all, all trades. trades yeah, yeah. Uh, we cut to an unhappy Bloom watching his shitty twins enjoy their birthday. His <laughs> wife is clearly sleeping around. He throws oh, golf balls into It's the like pool. a political cartoon of your wife it's, is cuckolding no, you. No, it's literally, it's it's very ordinary people if you've seen that film. Yeah. Uh, he smokes, drinks scotch, does a cannonball, <laughs> and stays at the bottom. That's Filmed another like, mainstay. Very Wes Anderson shot. Very big mainstay of Wes Anderson. He's like, he wants that deprivation tank. He wants that mm-hmm. Jack Cousteau shit. He wants separation oh. because he's so he oh that's why he likes Jacques Cousteau he's interesting to on, connect it to Jacques Cousteau I hadn't thought of it in that light oh absolutely he loves it's, that just yeah. like Jacques Cousteau is in multiple films if we, when we get to Zisu it's of course he's talking about self-isolation everything about the uh Wes Anderson verse to me is always about how do you deal with dysfunction and mm-hmm. how are the improper ways to do so and this is something that he actually I think idol it's weird because it's this weird in between of idolization and um, like, like criticism, but we'll talk more about that. Later. Well, yeah, and Bloom's clearly a precursor to Tannenbaum, but and we'll talk like, more about that cool. later. In this moment, we're like, "This is cool." Ah, uh, we kind of feel for Bloom. Yeah, he's so sad. He's so like unique and complex. And look at this. And it's Murray's um, performance. He's the ultimate charming. You can't yeah. not like him, guy. So. Um, Speaking of water, Max spends more time with Rosemary feeding fish. Or did you want to say No, no, thing? that's the perfect segue. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. Uh, and Go, eel boy. We, who, uh, we noticed he actually brought back Latin. She notices he brought back Latin from the dead. And he asked to be her assistant. And she's like, well, good job on the Latin stuff. That's cool. But she doesn't. Well, actually, she doesn't say good job. She's just happy about that because yeah. she doesn't know about the Latin yet. Uh, and we learn that she's been widowed uh, mm-hmm. for a year uh, and she lost her husband. And that his mother uh, died when he was seven. So they kind of have a moment of, you know, unity of grief. Um, yeah. And he's falling harder in love with her. He's spending more time helping. And he's just taking note that she has fish. Um, Blooms off his steel factory. He's on the horn with the boys on the East Coast. And he's putting stuff in pneumatic tubes and saying, I don't want, I don't want alloys. I want steel. God damn it. Steel. I love that. Yeah. This is the this is the job. Well, I'm doing a job. You don't believe I'm uh, yeah, doing exactly. a job? Fuck you. So uh, Max applies for the offer for the job, and he says he needs to raise money for an aquarium for the school, even though we know it's basically just Rose. He wants to impress, impress Rosemary. Rosemary. Yeah. 
He asked for thirty five thousand dollars. He'll cost thirty five thousand dollars. Bloom hands him a check that's two point five k. He's like, it's it's worth that. I'll give you twenty five hundred. Uh, <laughs> so we cut to a montage. He does that. He gets more fish for the aquarium. He's doing like prep for rosemary things. But he had, like he's he's starting the all right whatever you need to do to build like aquarium. Um, and that's kind of like uh, there's so many montages in this film. Yes. By the way. Um, and right. it's just kind of a short one. Reminds me uh, of Hudsucker, which I love. Mm-hmm. It culminates in the school library where Rosemary's grading papers. And then Max is suddenly there and he dotes on her uh, again and asks if he's thought about. She asks because she notices the doting because now we've gotten to the three beats where it's like, I can't stop being around you. I'm getting trying to get too close to you. And then she's like, okay, maybe I'm I'm the adult. I have to say something. Yeah. Maybe you're too young for me. Uh, He's very despondent. Has it ever crossed your mind that you're too young for me? He says, I've considered that you might think that's a possibility. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And he also posits that no one knows where this relationship is going, Mm -hmm. but she's like, this is, well, what do you mean by relationship? Nothing can happen. But she does tell him that she's never met anyone like him. After all, he tells her the same. Uh, Like, so it's this kind of thing where Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, the writers of this, are doing this thing where they're saying like, no, she's doing all the right stuff. She's, you know, putting up the boundaries, making it very clear to Max. But we all know, I guess, and she should start start beginning to know that uh, Max is not ordinary you know like he, he he'll go for it so she should take extra care in dealing with that i think it's kind of one of the things that the writer's kind of allowing that in this moment she'd be like you know you i have never met anyone like you max right uh that's what she thinks is letting him down easy but it is like max you question her understanding of nuance or what, yeah. what she's doing yeah. yeah um and of course there's no way that Schwartzman is actually 15 when he filmed this. So it also plays with your head a bit because he doesn't seem 15. He doesn't seem 15 in a, like a lot of ways. Uh, but at the end of the sequence, they do part kind of amicably. Like at least he seems to Rosemary's understand, mind. but he's faking. He seems. Yeah, so uh, then we cut to his Serpico play. Yeah. And they're staging an adaptation of Serpico, or maybe he's trying to pass it off as, because I mean, interesting, I Noah Bombach adjacent. will eventually be associated with West and then do Squid and the Whale, where the kid copies comfortably numb and pretends it's his own. So this idea of like right. adapting things to feel that you're very creatively fulfilled, you know? Oh, for sure. As yeah, we I'm analyze film yeah. to feel creatively fulfilled. But anyway, that aside, uh, backstage, he basically hassles one of the, actors for not for dropping a line and he goes like you know the cannoli line's important every line is important and the guy still has that serpico energy so he's like get off my back (laughs) and um ends up punching max and it's giving him like a black eye and a bloody nose they're like uh tortured artists you know he's really he's inspiring that kind of culture which is kind of hilarious when he comes out to get his, uh, you know, ovation at the end of the play as writer director Serpico doesn't clap, which I think is a very nice touch. Um, right. Also, it's in slow mo, which is a director tra- uh, like kind of trademark. Oh yeah, and well, it will end with standard speed shot in shot going to slow mo yeah. to represent a character being sad underneath. So yeah. it's the same bo- ending as Bottle Rocket in some ways. 
but mm-hmm. Video games are iterative. I still love them. Anyway. No, he's just got, it's a trademark. It's not like, yeah, it's exactly. a feature. It's not a bug. Um, so the whole point of this was also to gather like, you know, Miss Cross is there and dad is there. And, you know, cause so now they're schmoozing after the play, but also Miss Cross brought Luke Wilson, AKA Peter Flynn, who's dressed in doctors or like surgical scrubs. So he really is what he claims his dad is, you know, there's something mm. there. And, uh, he he assumes like we the audience assume that they're a couple and he is immediately comically hostile to uh peter max Flynn. is yeah. yeah max is very petty uh mm-hmm. and we not only that we cut to a dinner uh between the four of them uh bloom luke bloom wilson as well max yeah. and you know olivia williams and uh it's more of the same. He brags about his play. He's now drinking alcohol, which we learn that, uh, you know, Bloom let him because it was his big night. Uh, he, he basically just tries to push Luke Wilson out and he throws a tantrum. He confesses his love for Rosemary as well. It's very awkward. <laughs> yeah. I like your nurse's uniform guy. <laughs> These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? <laughs> and then oh, right. what I love Which is Bloom, Bloom laughs at. Yeah. It cracks up at Because we get the feeling that Bloom is also a little bit hammered. So yeah, Bloom's it's into kinda... it. Um, he says, well, they're totally inappropriate for the occasion. Well, I didn't know we were going to dinner. He's we not wrong. Were... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, OR Scripps is not truly appropriate for a, uh, for a theater for a play. setting. Sure. I think yeah. you get special dispensation when you cut people know, open man. to save them I all guess day. I be, there's there's a lot of goodwill because uh you know like there's so much we don't need to be ragging on yeah people I'm who sorry are, so who work at hospitals yeah one more just one more exchange before we move on from the great dinner scene uh because he keeps pretending not to know his name that's his main dig sure. so he says so tell me curly <laughs> Yeah. How do you know Miss oh, Cross? And he goes, yeah. we went to Harvard together. Hey, that's right. great. I wrote a hit play and directed it, so I'm not sweating it either. <laughs> God damn. Just great stuff. Uh, yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, and all <laughs> the wheels fall off. Yeah. It's a terrible night. Miss Cross We cut out. to school again. Bloom seeks out Rosemary. He's mm-hmm. got a message from Max, he says, about an apology. Uh, a possible apology maybe he's mm-hmm. not sure which you know we learn later that uh bloom is sure of what he's here for uh rosemary thinks that they shouldn't see uh each other Ma- meaning max anymore because he's too attached and bloom is like whatever you want to do and he asks for her first name he uh then he then reveals that he actually has just straight up a letter from uh max because of course that's how max does correspondences um and then we hear that letter read um yeah he's inviting her to the groundbreaking for the new aquarium which we see is happening on the baseball diamond which is obviously you can tell it's not on the up and up immediately because they tease you with like there's guys with chainsaws and he's like yeah cut down all these trees to make room for the aquarium you're like there's no way he got permission for that and he's trying to delay so that cross will show up um the baseball coach is like are you supposed to be doing this and wanders off so you're like this is about to get shut down Dirk tells Max Miss Cross is out sick, called in sick today, and he calls Bloom, who also conspicuously can't be gotten a hold of and usually can. So you're kind of piecing it together. And then, as expected, yeah. the baseball coach and Guggenheim and a security guard or cop or something all run up with and him it's going, like, None of this what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. And Max, Robot then, House! In, a, in a very good cut, uh, we reveal 
uh, Guggenheim silently chewing Max out. Yeah, yeah, chewing him out. Max is crying. Jump cut to new school, (laughs) and oh, actually, not jump cut. It's one of the uh, curtains. It's a green curtain. October. Max is in public school, and uh, it's as you'd expect a normal public school. Just a teacher saying, "I there's someone who wants to give a speech." He gives a speech to his new class, still in his Rushmore jacket, about not being an elitist, and about how he's excited about being at the new school, and he'll stand up for the little guy, and he'll get better extracurriculars. Cue Margaret Yang in the um, hallways, who's basically speaks in the same way as Max, showing that she values the same things and commends his speech. He kind of waves her off as if she doesn't exist. Fish out of water sequence, essentially. It's act two, baby. So, Mm. you know, he got his world twisted, but he's going to try and apply the same thing. So we see him fencing alone while people play basketball around him in the basketball court and other quick postcards of like, he's trying to apply his Rushmore tactics, but it's not working. Um, He eventually calls Bloom from a school phone, gets hassled by a security guard as Bloom says, you know, Miss Cross isn't really right for you. And at the same time, we see Bloom stalking her essentially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as a side note, uh, just shutting down a kid on the basketball court. God, it's the best part of the movie. Just Bill Murray packing the shit out of some kids playing basketball absolutely posterizes these kids it's uh so it's yeah. you've seen it it's great max sneaks out of uh what is revealed to be grover cleveland high to find mm-hmm. rosemary cross uh and i then- love that even rushmore which is like the name of like a bunch like a bunch of presidents grover mm-hmm. cleveland it's like the shitty pre- a shitty president i don't know i not oh saying, yeah no that totally works he's just a lesser known i don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't actually know you much don't know what grover he cleveland. like his deal Vis-a-vis the country. (laughs) Um, He goes to Rushmore. He sees Bucking with his cast and a cigarette and a big knife. (laughs) Like all the bully props in a tree. (laughs) And he stops him and he sort of gives him like a psychological dressing down. Says, you know, you're not allowed to be here. You're a big show with no results. And to shut him up, he claims that he, you know, you think I just got kicked out because the aquarium. No, no, no. It was no, nah. No, 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 it was no. the hand job, <laughs> and yeah. basically says I'm that a cool kid Durst's who mom hand jobs from mom. did give him a hand job. Yeah, yeah, because you know he really does care what people think of him, and he's a teenager. You know, can we fault? Right. Can, can, can we truly fault him for a lot of stuff? Yes. Uh, a lot <laughs> of the other stuff. Well, I mean, teenagers are fucking uh, just a nightmare because of what's going on in their brain and their bodies. So yeah. he's probably reacting like a child would. But he finds Cross and he reveals the book to her, which has the desired. He's basically becoming a master manipulator, like Gaslighter. He really is. So he's so he, you know, it has the effect he wanted, which is to stir feeling in her and reveals their Jacques Cousteau connection. And she talks about how the book was given to her by her dead husband, Edward Appleby, I think is the name. I believe so. Yeah. And she says, you remind me of him. And he says, I do. How? Well, you remember the Rushmore Beekeepers. He founded that club. So we get the impression that they are somehow, like maybe he was a go-getter like Max in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Max asks if they can be friends again and that that's all he's really interested in. <laughs> You're like, bullshit, but whatever. Because he says um, he was trying really hard at Cleveland, but he thinks he might need a tutor. So now- Another way just to be like- To be uh, around her. He doesn't care. I mean, he's yeah. already- we actually see that he's starting to excel, you know, because I guess that may be because of the tutoring. But we see a montage where 
Max is like spending all of his time with Bloom, uh, and and Cross, and they're both trying to. Margaret Yang kind of like some Ru- Rushmore crew watches him excel. He's kind of succeeding already, uh, and he's getting slightly improved grades. He got a C minus. So like I think that he's just doing this to Rosemary just because it's just like uh, I want to be. He can do you. twelve backflips in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing good. He's doing good. Soon enough, he's working on another play, which I thought was a Carlitos Way adaptation, but I but I could be wrong. Um, spots Margaret Yang and asks her to be in it. Sort of like coerces her or just assumes, you know, you're in the play mm-hmm. now. I've discovered you. Auditorium at 3.30. Bring a headshot, please. Um, Bloom comes to see Cross at home and they have some banter over carrots. And again, you get the impression that she's kind of just being polite. Because he's exceedingly awkward, but somehow this does off camera at some point blossom into, you know, something resembling a relationship. But the beginnings of it and then it just doesn't. Yeah, they go on a walk together and there's an energy. Uh, They hold hands while they walk. Ah, uh, but Dirk spots them and you get sinister organ music. A sister, sinister organ music over a little child on a bike. One of the best (laughs) uh, just because it. Out of the mouth of babes, you know, like it can all fall apart. And it does. Um, he confronts him immediately. He confronts immediately yeah. Bloom about their side hangs. And so Bloom obviously fears Max's knowledge of this. And Dirk tells Bloom that he's a married man. Uh, and Dirk uh, says, you're not a true friend to Max. And he spits on his car. Yeah. The bully tells Dirk that Max only hangs out with him because he's into his mom. Tells him about the the fact that he said that he got a hand job from her. Uh, Dirk says, nah, Max would never say that. The bully responds, yeah, right. Like he doesn't lie, which is basically Dirk kind of knows that's secretly Midpoint. True. So mm-hmm. it's actually, so in this way, in this movie, All the full the world flip was set losing Dirk's loyalty. That's the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Well, yeah. And like up to the midpoint in a movie like this, everything has been planted so that the seeds of uh, destruction will ensue in this next two sequences, Mm -hmm. next 30 minutes, which begins now. Dirk sends sends a a letter to Max, a crayon letter to Max about the affair. He says that he's telling him because he's just such a good friend. Max surprises (laughs) Bloom like in his car. Max is now like straight up doing like next level like crime shit. And it's because he's jealous. Bloom says he's in love with Rosemary and he wants to see where it goes. Max says he was in love with her first. And then Max guarantees that Rosemary will never be in love with him and because he saved Latin. What did Bloom ever do? Mm-hmm. Max crashes in Miss crashes Mrs. Cross's class to say, I'm sorry, I just came by to thank you for wrecking my life. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this is the point in my notes where I just wrote like, okay, at this point through 2022 eyes, I'm just like, leave this poor woman alone, everyone, please, right, at this yeah, point. This is like this where point. it starts to feel like this that. poor widow, yeah. fresh, like a year still. like Just come re-triggering on. her trauma let over and her, over. Let her set the terms for like what her romantic life is going to be for a bit. But uh, uh, in an amazing, this like these two beats though, the tone of them would be right at home in a peak Arrested Development, in my opinion. Because the yeah. next shot is Max burning leaves in the Rushmore yard, and Guggenheim smells it out his window, yeah, and he's like, flips him up. "Max, 
God damn it, what are you doing? God damn and it, Max. Max just lights a cigarette and slowly flips him off. And it's just such a great I image. I can't stop thinking of succession during this movie yeah. where just googling up, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> it's just anyway. Uh so Max calls Bloom's wife that tells right. her of escalating the feud. Which I love that little, in- uh, the way we introduce it, because if anything, Max is polite, so he brought sandwiches. So she, he offers it. you can take a tuna fish or the other one, she takes the tuna fish. He's got multiple options. Uh, and over some car ambiance, which I thought would pay off, but doesn't. Um, I thought that was the weirdest choice in the film for me was why not? Because the sound is drowned Why not out. just script the way Max would, s- we've heard everything he said. Why not just have him say it? So we assume- and it is true yeah, that Max exactly. tells her that Bloom is cheating. Uh, we cut to him because we immediately, that's the other thing, immediately. It's not, not like it's done just to kind of like marionette the audience to be like, ah, oh, dramatic irony for a little bit. Like make them feel catharsis for like a, a false beat later, which is something that stories do in this mm-hmm. section. So maybe that is enough. He's like film grammar wise. Maybe they're going to be thinking that I'm going to be doing something with this, but I just don't. Or think I thought it might have been meant to resonate with that great shot of Guggenheim chewing him out, like devastating right. someone under silence as a motif. But then I that would have tears running something. down the face of. Yeah, I would do the it wife more. Or something. I, I would nail it home. This is so far removed. The shots look so different. There's no other attempt to quote make them a quote of each yeah. other. So I don't believe it, but yeah. Um, in any case, immediately we are given an answer because uh, we see Bloom checking into a hotel. So that immediately seems verified in his room uh, as he gets there and he's settling in. Now, Max has released bees. <laughs> and I got to this feels truly genius to me because it's very it good. shows Wes Anderson's knowledge and use of what he himself like he's aware of what he is. And he can use it. And I think this is the perfect example of that because it's a shot that is perfectly posed like out of a catalog, like a Wes Anderson movie, if you will, of like hands and a newspaper and a watch and a nice teacup and a gift basket with honey and like, uh, you know, a honey dipper and all placed meticulously in a way that he's saying, yeah, I this is like the kind of shot I do get it. And to make it all perfect. There's a little bee in the corner because, you know, it goes with the motif, bees, honey. And you don't think about it till you start, you sit on it long enough. And then there's a second bee and you're like, wait, why are there bees though? And then you slowly reveal that, yeah, Max has piped bees into the room to harass Bloom. And I just think that's like an actual escalation of... You know, him being self-aware in yeah. a way that I really And enjoy. I like that there's a nice touch where uh, Bill Murray Bloom smiles and then his smile fades. Like he's like, ah, you got me. You got me, got me but this means war. Yeah. And then it, we see another slow-mo tracking shot of him taking the box of bees down the elevator while wearing a staff uniform. Yeah. Pretty cool. Then Bloom goes with bolt cutters, steals Max's bike, crushes it with his car, and puts it back and ties the lock in a knot. And uh, the groundskeeper, Mr. Little Jean, sees him, uh, who we haven't mentioned and I think just deserves a shout out at some point. So then we see Max on a new bike who rides to Bloom's factory and cuts the brakes on his car. And now it is officially just a Looney Tunes cartoon, this whole stretch mm-hmm. of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but ca- that causes him to almost crash into and crush to death Mr. Little Jeans, but he doesn't. 
thank God. Um, But it does have my favorite joke, which is him filing a police report on Max and describing him as go-getter, black hair, glasses, oval face. (laughs) Oval face. I also like that he's got, he he knows exactly how, like he's 112 pounds. Right. Because I think it's because probably the wrestling scene. He had to weigh Uh, in. Yeah. Yeah. So then we cut to him in jail. It works. He's in jail, which is interesting that a 15 year old, I guess they would hold you for that, but they would hold you, but they wouldn't put you in. It makes it seem like he's going to (laughs) like adult jail. Federal pound me in the ass. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) uh, he say we're spared that because Max's dad bails him out. And uh, his new plan is to get Miss Cross fired, right? Uh, that's not what his plan is, but that's how it can be easily interpreted because like he's on a different level of he's clearly trying to hatch a new plan. He's like, I'm going to come back at this guy yet again. And we never see those moves. Okay. So he's just like, that's not what I'm doing. And then it's like interrupted. So like, I believe that Max, this is some bigger, larger plan, but the initial one is he's just getting photos of them out. Uh, I think it's probably more fuel for the fire of like, I'm going to get you divorced, even though that's already on its way and ha- and will happen regardless of right. what Max does. Um, for some but- reason, that's not fully clear. I think it will become so later. He's at Rushmore and gets stopped by Dirk. And in a very Anderson-y touch, it's Halloween day. Why not? So all the Why little not? kids are in various he Halloween costumes and Dirk is dressed as a wizard and he leads the kids, the littler kid class in throwing rocks and pine cones at, mm-hmm. um, and we get the feeling it's payback for the hand job thing. I mean, we, he says something to that effect and yeah, then he knows it's Max true. calls a truce and Dirk says, uh, you know, Bucken told me this. And at this point, Max just holds the lie. Like, you know what I mean? He just, yeah. he says, well, that's a goddamn lie. And I'm going to send that Mick back to Ireland in a body bag. And I'm going to pop a cap in his pop ass. Pop a cap in his Pretty ass. Pretty dated yeah. language, <laughs> you know, but I think that's kind of the point. He mm. goes to see Guggenheim, who has sent him a package designed to, or he has sent him a package. This is the snapshots, yeah. That's the snapshots of Bloom with Cross. And I think that's supposed to, I don't know, shame both of them. But yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Guggenheim didn't really look through it and it says, I never took you for an informer, Max. And he says, What's that supposed to mean? And he says, What's that supposed to mean? Which is yeah. deeply cathartic. It's like yeah. on Spielboys, you guys talk about that scene in Empire of the Sun where uh, the maid finally slaps him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. good. Yeah. Very satisfying. Yeah, exactly. You're like, ah, Max needs needed that. Yeah. What do you mean? But he does. But but Guggenheim uh, does tell him that like Rosemary resigned her mm-hmm. position before he even got Max's package. So you are not only are you a piece of shit for doing all this nonsense, you're you're ultimately ineffective because the adults are doing their own mechanizations anyway. Mm-hmm. And one of the Rosemary's like cross is essentially just, I'm going to bail. This is not for me. Um, so we cut to that. Rosemary is moving her stuff out of her classroom. And Max, of course, on his way out, visits. Um, she says, I'm sorry, I love your friend instead of you, which is very overly generous of her to say. Right. right. Um, and But it does establish like, oh, I guess she and Bloom were fooling around or like going down that road of a romantic relationship. Oh, which yeah. Is she just, says it she happens loves, on the margins, yeah. but she says she yeah. loves him. 
Uh, and then he tries to force a kiss on her, and I just right. thought and that she was just, too far. Yeah, and she obviously manhandles him because he's 15. Uh, and he yells, uh, I like the sequence uh, of lines where it's, Rush, Rushmore was my life, now you are. Uh, and then she asks how this would all go. Do you think we we're going to have sex? That's kind of a cheap way of putting it. Not if you've ever fucked before, it isn't. So it's just like, your dream of what's being happened, Max, is now being completely deflated by the realities of adulthood, the realities of other people's wants. In other words, mm -hmm. we're no longer in your imagination land where you can kind of taste test everything like you've been doing. So you now we got to drive him into his all his lost moments. So on his way yeah. out, Max is accosted by the bully and fine and his henchmen who are both dressed in identical Jason Voorhees masks, which I really love. And um, Dirk and the kids watch him get his ass kicked by Bucking. And in yeah. an upside down POV shot, all the little kids look in and he's like, well, we got him, Dirk. We got Dirk, him. We got him. Another <laughs> and, lie to save face. And reaches for his hand, and Dirk just walks away walks in disgust. Away. Low point. So, low. yeah, you've lost Dirk's loyalty. Yet again, Dirk is the barometer of how you're doing in life. Yeah, because he's his best friend who asks for nothing. Innocent, And if right. you've, you've failed him, you've really failed anyone. So what do you do um, when you're at your low point? You visit your mother's grave. Your mom's grave. Right, which yeah. is right next to your house. And um, I like the touch that there's fresh flowers there, presumably from from Bert, which is very mm. cute. Uh, very and it cute. says, beloved wife of uh, Bert and mother of Max, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. So I do think there's some connection with the sick transit Gloria thing there, but I could be wrong. Bloom walks up. Max invited him and he said, why? And he said, you said you wanted to put an end to all this. And he goes, oh yeah, I was going to try and have that tree over there fall on you. And he goes, that big one? Yep. Would have flattened yeah. me like a pancake. What stopped <laughs> you? What's the point? She loves you. So he wants to bury the hatchet. He's completely given up. It's like, you know, life is over. Still um, kind of hostile, but resigned, seemingly. Bloom says, she's my Rushmore Max. And he goes, I know she was mine too. And then, of course, he rips a small the tree falls. <laughs> like yeah. It clearly would have killed him. It's funny because there's no way that that would work. That's nonsense magic <laughs> right you don't rip a small branch from a tree and it falls but you know it's funny uh and then we get a montage max goes to work for his dad and it's like a sad montage he doesn't seem interested anymore in, in extracurriculars or living an extraordinary life like Jacques Cousteau uh says people should margaret yang visits him with a plant as he a refuses present, but to max, notice her for whatever reason yeah yeah but max won't see her and as weird touch i don't know what exactly it means he later brings it to his mother's grave i think it's just opportunist i don't know the, what that means the potted plant yeah the potted plant he's like i don't i think it's just an care. easy way to get rid of it i don't care about this yeah yeah i just didn't know need to know that answer in this movie any mm -hmm. other not notes on this montage before we go to december no it's doing the basic but you don't notice the opportunity right in front of your face you know yeah, exactly. until you do yeah, yeah december, yeah. Red december. Curtain. we've come full circle from red to red mm -hmm. max's dad tells him that he's always thought he'd be more uh, than a barber, you know, uh, Max is so dejected. Um, and he's he just says, like, no dad, I'm a barber's son. I'm a barber's son, which is okay. <laughs> Settle down Decemberists. And then he, uh, he's then visited by Dirk who apologizes for throwing the rocks, which I thought was kind of sweet. Uh, and he brings him a present. It's a Swiss army knife with Max's name engraved. Get it? Because uh, Max is mm -hmm. so versatile. 
but none yeah. of the tools on a Swiss Army knife are as good as their real counterparts. I think for, it's a perfect yeah. gift for Max. It's I a love it. Perfect gift for Max. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And it, and also we get that like Boy Scout energy mm-hmm. that you get from a Swiss Army. Always knife, prepared. Yeah. Always, always uh, obsessed always with a lot of different utilities. A Wes Anderson film. Uh, Max cuts his hair and they're friends again. Hooray. Matt. They suggest he suggests that he visit Guggenheim in the hospital because he just had a stroke. So as a weird side note, just <laughs> to sort of, I think, give them a final beat to their arc. Um because it's got a real Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner vibe, and you got to wrap yeah. that up. He visits Robot him house. and calls him old timer and says, "You probably can't hear me because they said your brain's damaged." But he goes, "What do you want? It's Max. It's Max Fisher." And they're like, "He hasn't talked in ten days." <laughs> so you know, it's, it's like he, he he's hates, so angry it got yeah. him his brain working. <laughs> he got his uh, brain working, so he saved him by being so hateful to him. Yeah. Um, he's so now damn. that they're friends again, Dirk stakes out Bloom's house and sees him going into the oh oh that's kind of just a side note too um but main point is bloom and max cross paths at the hospital and bloom looks like shit now and so oh they, yeah he's disheveled drinking yeah. one of his, uh, he's got a black eye because one of his twins punched him and he's just not taking the divorce well but it kind of becomes clear that he's doesn't have cross in his life now either and he lights yeah. a second cigarette while smoking a cigarette which is just a great right. touch always a good touch yeah. um kids don't like it when their parents get divorced i don't blame them neither do i <laughs> great mm-hmm. great sequence um, uh, other uh, lines that i liked yeah. because he did know because we do scan it he says Le- rosemary left him six weeks ago and he says the reason why is because she's still in love with the dead guy which is appleby edward appleby um, uh, and i like the quote she's sweet but she's fucked yeah up. The, it's the murray's delivery well she's mm-hmm. sweet you know but but she's fucked up <laughs> and then Adios, i also muchacho. like as, i also like uh I forget what the question is that prompts it, but I also like uh, Bill Murray's I'm a little lonely these days. Yeah. Are you okay? Is the only question that prompts it. Yeah. And that's how he exits. But the big point is they buried the shovel by agreeing. Ah, we can't beat Edward Appleby. This has run its course. Everyone, you know, we're done, but there's more movie. So Max uses a ladder because, uh, (laughs) His obsession, of course, has to rear its ugly head one more time before he actually grows. Max uses a ladder to knock on Cross's window and claims to have just been hit by a car so that he can get in to use the phone. Mm. Crazy, creepy behavior, which is fine to depict in film. You know, I encourage it if it's, hand, sure, you sure, know, sure. for the proper purposes. But it's indicative of a lot. But of it's weird how he just skates by on that. He gets away with this kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, he immediately puts on romantic music. We know almost immediately of these <laughs> yeah, scam. Yeah. Like the blood is probably not real. Uh, and he and sh- he asks immediately, "Why'd you dump Bloom?" She says, "A, he's married. B, he hates himself. C, he smashed up your bicycle." And who is who does that? Uh, which is all obvious things. And to which Max says, "War does funny things to men." Which is yeah, and she's not even aware of the war. Uh, then she says, "I will say that Edward has more spark and character and imagination, one finger ma- nail, than Herman Bloom has in his body." Mm-hmm. To which he says, one dead fingernail. And she says, right. So it's just We're amazing that he later. like... Yeah. He wants to drag her down in order to make her compliant. Yeah, we're going to need to talk about that. That that to yeah. me is everything. It's that very... Everything uh, right it there. reminds me of Election. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah, again, it's not to lambaste Wes Anderson. It's more to just no, be no. like, it is a Looney Tune in some ways. And Looney Tunes go very far. Like, he is hateful. I think, I think when we unpack it later, I think it's indicative of what is very strong mm-hmm. uh, in, in the filmmaker spirit of Wes Anderson. And it's also his flaw. Um, All right, but so that's we'll get to it. Me. But yeah. she says, uh, you know, Edward drowned. He says his mom got cancer. She wipes the blood off his head, realizes that it's fake, flips out, kicks him out. Um, then we cut to Dirk and Max flying box kites at the airfield and get the feeling that we're in the denouement. Like maybe that's that, you know, and, uh, he's grown a bit and we see that because he apologizes about the hand job comment, right? The thing with the thing with Rosemary Ann did the only way it could, which is that is not going to happen. You get it through your thick skull. Um, and as an interesting side note, he apologizes to Margaret Yang, which does show growth. But then Margaret Yang also comes down to his level in a way, because <laughs> earlier yes. there was a montage where we saw that she was a truly an A student excelling at the and her science project mm-hmm. had all this interest. And he says, I thought you sold your science project to the Navy. And she says, uh, no, I faked it. I thought it would work, but it didn't. So I faked it. <laughs> and I think it's they were kind of right for each other. It's cute. Yeah, that's the thing is I think it's actually not a bad move because like taking the wind out of her sails is actually what is indicative of is uh, this culture of being so good at everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like there's a reason Jack of all trades master. And that's not unique to Max. It's the fact that he chose to do that life. Margaret also chose to do that life to some extent. So she's not going to be excel excellent at everything as well. Um, I think that that's fine. Uh, I've known a lot of these types of kids when I was going through high school in this kind of uh, atmosphere. And it's kind of a true statement about a lot of them. There is like one or two that are just like excellent at everything. But and honestly, we, majority mm-hmm. of people who, and which is a, a lot of people, because everyone thinks that they're excellent at uh, something and they're trying it on. This is like a very good children's tale like i really like what this says to like kind of adult young people yeah Yeah. um and we can tell he's got his groove back because he tells dirk take dictation please we're starting and he says please and earlier in the film he just said take dictation um so he says possible candidates for kite flying society (laughs) we're back on the horse and he starts saying a bunch of names and you notice margaret yang's in there but i noticed that shoeshine pickens is in there which i think is amazing (laughs) that's pretty Um, good and then we check in with, you know, Montage. everyone makes peace at the barbershop. So we check back in at the barbershop and this time Bloom is there and he's been standing there sadly waiting for Max to show up. Well, we have this this motif in the film of Max will invite you, but he will arrive late. Right. In fact, in the point of the scene, punctuality is a bit uh, Max is not very punctual when he sets the no. date. So that's I think why it's a power Murray move gets punctuality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so he gets punctuality. But Max came yeah. to offer him the two rush. He has the two Rushmore medals that we saw him wear every time he wore the Rushmore jacket. One was for mm-hmm. attendance and one was for punctuality. And he says, I thought we could each wear one. Like and you're like, place, ah, yeah. so it's, you know, the piece between these two characters made now. Yeah. But it is notable that he takes attendance because if there's one thing about Max Fisher, he always shows up. And then Murray takes punctuality because Max is not punctual. I like that. Uh, they go inside. They talk to the dad. Max introduces him to Bloom by, for the first time, saying to someone, 
he's not a sir, you know, like saying, no, this is my dad. He's a barber. And Bert mm-hmm. gives him a free haircut. Which and is kind of great because uh, as the disheveled state that he's in drinking and not really, uh, he just doesn't look good. Yeah. Uh, you go to a barber and you feel like you suddenly have a new lease on life. And we feel that as he walks out of the uh, out of the shop. It's kind of um, weird that it's the same mechanism of how Dirk and he made up. <laughs> like they yeah. just do it again. I mean, yeah, um, it doesn't need to be complex. Uh, yeah. Max immediately asks him if he's worth 10 million, which he is. I think it's only funny that that's the number because that's what this movie costs to make. Nice. Uh, apparently they're going to need all of it, though, for whatever mm-hmm. Max is planning. So then we cut to another montage at Bloom's <laughs> factory. It starts. They're working they play out, with each other, having great Drinking times, protein shakes. Out. Yeah. And the aquarium is still on. There's We see models of the aquarium being built. The kite flying cub, club is in full swing. In full flight, and Max types on a typewriter because it's he's a Wes Anderson again. film. Yeah, so uh, and he's also we get it, we see it lands on an invitation to the groundbreaking ceremony, which Rosemary receives. Which we learned the whole point of this aquarium for both of these men, ch- man, child. It's still. Children, it turns out her. we still have to. Nothing wrap has changed, up, right? Because they're still both obsessed with Rosemary. Right. Although this one is slightly different because it's also like we want to apologize. We want you to see us in a different light. But let's let's not let's be real about this. The end goal for both of them is maybe it'll be like the way I still want it to be. Right. Uh, We realize as the audience. No, I don't want that. Even after that basic one, two, three arc of a film, there's a fourth act because they can't let this shit go. Um, So this is sort of the yeah, the closer. The denouement is very built out in this film. So. It is. We can tell that Bloom still harbors feelings because he goes, shit, she's not coming. Oh, my God. Why did I do this? I spent eight million dollars on this. Right, shit. right. When we yeah. cut to the actual groundbreaking, which is immediately mm-hmm. because there's no other scenes that need to exist. Like you said, this the movie has been wrapped up. So all it is is this one little orphaned kind of plot line which is this and uh yeah so he abandons he pulls the ripcord like he's just like i paid eight million dollars for this and max says is that all you're willing to spend yeah you're a quitter man and he goes and finds cross at the new school where she teaches and he says it's a shame she didn't come because bloom built it for you do you think edward appleby would have done that and she goes i think he would have if he had the money so it's again he's like the, the only growth here is not that he still wants to force this woman to do what he wants, but he mm-hmm. thinks it would be nice if he gifted her to his and friend, Bill notably, Murray. And importantly, Olivia Williams says in this scene, I didn't ask for any of this, <laughs> yeah. which is that's the trump card, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, you listen to that and then you know what where it all stands uh but we double down and well not double down in sense of the aquarium but we move on from this everyone it, once again it seems like rosemary's reasserted her position mm-hmm. and blue and max failed in hoping to rekindle any kind of magic there once was and they realize it's truly over <laughs> max but, cut to max buys 10 sticks of dynamite <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the so we're doubling down in that sense. And he, as he hands over the dynamite to the child, Dirk, to Dirk, yeah. 
He grabs a BB gun. Dirk hands him a BB gun. He's got one last thing to do at Rushmore. Uh, And we don't know it's a BB gun at this point. We think it's a rifle. So this just got real very quickly. But then we learn that he's pumping it up like you pump up a BB Mm -hmm. gun. So it's not like he's a school shooter. But he is shooting Magnus, uh, the bully, right? He calls him Magnus as a fucking dig. There's a dig. Because yeah, it's like right. a generic Scottish name. All yeah. right, Magnus. Uh, and he, he, obviously he's pissed, but before he gets beaten up again, uh, Max quickly offers him a role in a play. Who The bully confesses that he always wanted to be in Max's See, plays, which is very convenient. We're writing a coming-of-age movie, and I won't belabor this because we do a whole series about that, but this is such a... We are still struggling with the bully arc and what's where what's the moment where we leave the protagonist and the bully and what's their relationship? What's our final word on that? This is such a good one <laughs> that he always wanted to be in his play secretly. Like, yeah. yeah, they still don't I like don't each other, it, but he but would have liked to have been invited. It works because he's like he's actually perfect for the play. But yeah, exactly. I don't actually like it. Oh, Abe doesn't like it. All right, that's pedagogy. So we see a sidey shot of all the characters we've come to know. And by sidey shot, I mean like a long dolly shot that's unidirectional where we're like, oh, uh, it's the bleachers. It's the crowd. Literally everyone is there. Even the cops who arrested Max. It's like the end of of Seinfeld, the trial. It's everyone that we've come to know and love on this adventure. Um, Miss Cross notably sits by Bloom and Max. Well, it's assigned seating. Seated them together. Yeah. A random comment by one of the audience uh, mentions Max will like, oh, yeah, he'll burn the school to the ground, <laughs> which is what I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, we learned that the place called Heaven and Hell and he dedicates it to his mother and Edward Appleby, Rosemary's late husband. A friend uh, of a And then friend. it starts in Vietnam and the production is enormous. Max is in the play as well as a soldier. There's real pyrotechnics and actual <laughs> flamethrowers. Uh, Max is accidentally hit Dirk in the face with the butt of a rifle. shoots a flamethrower. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. They have like a like a background that has like a helicopter like going past that's just like a, a miniature. It looks fucking great. It's the most expensive play you've ever seen. Uh yeah. During but, um, during intermission, Bloom and Cross have a moment, a coffee and cream and cigarette moment where they snuzzle each other and you're like oh the it's rekindled uh, there's possibility which is not warranted but you know whatever that's it's, what's happening love. <laughs> just accept uh, it and no more importantly i think they take this time to talk about if the play will have a happy ending which is metaphor uh mm. Is it back on? <laughs> it's, it's more like wrapping paper, but yeah. Yeah, that's um, true. The play ends. It brings Bloom to tears because, as we heard at the wrestling match, he was in the shit and um, he was in the shit. So we get the experience. Line. It's like a Saving Private Ryan moment where he's like, "Oh God, this was really impactful." Um, Max at the end. Max's character asks M- Margaret's character to marry him at gunpoint, and she says, "You bet I will." And that's how yeah. the play ends. <laughs> yeah. After the play, everything is in its, quote, right place. Mm -hmm. Max and Margaret seem together. No one is really after each other. Love is in the air for everyone. Everyone's getting along. And Max asks the DJ to put on a new song, which is like this guitar ditty. Well, some final glimpses, I think, that are great, which is Ronnie and Donnie are in military school. That's fitting. Um, Luke Wilson saying to the dad, Bert. I understand you're a neurosurgeon. He says, no, I'm a barber, but a lot of people make that mistake. Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah. 
Um, um, yeah. Margaret and Max share a dance. And they play that folksy guitar song. Uh, and then curtains. Right. And the final shot is normal to slow-mo as they join the crowd and dance. So I guess no one's getting sad, but it's that same technique where it starts normal speed and in the middle mm-hmm. it goes slow-mo. And we're like, ah, which is now I, well, we can pedagogy this in reverse. Should we get into pedagogy? Pedagogy. 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 We talk about theme. We talk about symbolism if Mm -hmm. we want. You know, we just talk about like basically uh, execution as well. Uh, Last in, first out, because I think it'll be quick. Um, I guess I'm not fully clear on. Or if I am clear, I don't know if I resonate with what it means that it ends with it going to slow-mo as they dance and stare into each other's eyes after she like romantically takes his glasses off. You know, because I don't, is it good or do we want, like, do we want the creepy 15 year old to have a relationship with the teacher? The unhealthy relationship with that? I don't, I don't fully know what it, where it lands or what it means that very, I think what we're supposed to think Mm -hmm. in the, you know, universe of Wes Anderson's like, you know, I guess catalog. Um, It really is like a, he is, uh, it's, it's more of like it's a platonic ending, right? They can, I think that's what he's hoping. So you're saying that, that look they share it. is a look of mutual respect that peers, mutual that respect, understanding yeah. that she's a teacher understand and he's a they can't, but like also at the same time, we don't have to like hate each other or be, you know, make it be awkward, which, you know, I, I guess, know. I guess I just yeah. don't buy that that is earned. I just, yeah, I also think that an, an answer to this type of thing in this day and age could also just be like, and then they never really talked again because that's it was what I mean. That's what yeah. would happen. That's the responsible right. thing for the adult to do. That's what she should do. That is kind of the responsible thing. Uh, there's other people who could mentor this child. Obviously, he's not the type of person who won't fall in love with a, uh, you know, someone. It's a classic case of transference where, yeah. yeah, An adult takes care of you or is nice to you. His mom's dead. You know what I mean? That's conflated with it. She's feeling a lot of, yeah. 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 So in a way, like I was saying, I like this film one of the best. And the reason is I think Wes Anderson is really good at writing children. Um, Mm-hmm. Not in the way that you expect, and that's what kind of is his va- the value of it. Uh, but I mean, s- writing people who don't understand the nuance or have wide visions of the future in a displacement of dysfunction, that is where he truly resides, correct? And if that's true, this is what this film is. It's disillusionment to the fullest. Royal Tenenbaums and other films have characters who are disillusioned. The arc of this film is a simple riff on the concept of Max, this type of person, overreaches, tries to find himself in an impossible situation, is smacked down, but finds a way to persevere. Um, and that is kind of the story of grief. It's kind of the story of, you know, bettering yourself. Growing There's up There's a lot also. of going on. And it's that, so dealing with dysfunction in that way, Wes Anderson is very good at writing those characters as true. The real question comes up at, in terms of like, now we're getting borderline therapy, right? Whereas Wes Anderson always 
presenting the ending as the best message or lesson to be learned. Well, there's that's an even more complex question because A, it's a comedy. So does it really have an obligation to do the truth? But B, is that something that filmmakers have to do anyway? Um, in my opinion, I think that Wes Anderson is very good at these tropes and he sometimes is a little bit irresponsible in the ways that he presents the ending, like you just mentioned, where like, what is our actual like comfortable end? What is our like home state? He's like, I don't know. Everyone's together and they're happy. And he's like, just like, I yeah. don't know. I kind of just want the picture to end this way. Yeah. Uh, which is probably my biggest critique of Wes Anderson is that most of his decisions seem to be determined by, I want it this way. Well, he it's also cool. seems to write you know. almost exclusively about characters who through a combination of privilege and trauma, yeah. uh, it coexisting, which they absolutely do and can mm -hmm. creates a state of arrested development. And I don't just bring that up because I mentioned the show before, but I mean, literally um, like man children, you know, he has, Everyone has some sort of developmental block and it's usually either one or both of like, well, they're in a bubble as cause they always have been, or there was, a, there's a defining trauma or some kind of chronic mm -hmm. trauma that is, you know, cr creating the need to not move on yet. And yeah. I think it's interesting to also compare it to, uh, Raising Arizona because I want to interrogate myself and whether I would hold because that's something that's a live action Looney Tune. And I don't know. I don't remember during Coen Brothers Brothers, the Raising Arizona episode, us freaking out and going, I mean, if you think about it, they are stealing babies. They took someone's baby. That person had to feel that their baby is gone, you know, our. Mm -hmm. And yet on the other hand, I'm like, right, but I'm not going to take a 15 year old assaulting his teacher. Not seriously. Uh, and this it's not that that can't be depicted again, as we have to say every time it's that it's depicted whimsically uh, as it's if a it were a live action. This is Looney not a tune. cartoon. Yeah. This aspires to show us people who are complex and real and says, this could be you, this could be anyone that you see in your life. And that has power. That is power. It's the suggestion of storytelling that happens that when you want to say, I want to say something real right now. Now you can fake us out. That's fine. Um, or you can do the Coen Brothers thing where it's like, none of these people are fucking real. Um, but it's this weird mix that he finds that it does bring up, it drums up some things where he nails it sometimes and he does nail it. I, I also want to like, a lot of commenters throwing me on the fence. They really love to hate me in this show. Uh, like there seems to be a little, like I do respect wholeheartedly Wes Anderson's like, I have to have respect for the mechanics. There's like, as a filmmaker, he's very powerful. He's really good. And Especially in this like, film, this film. Ripped. And I think this film in, in like he's, he's hitting like the thing that I'm criticizing most for the most part is like, what does he do with his, like, what's the point of his films? Like, what are we resolving to is one thing. And then I have this other, like, characteristically, like, I just don't like his tastes in, uh, in terms of like his, like the, the, the floor the aesthetic. on the walls, the aesthetic. Uh, but like that, that is subjective. And I won't, I'll try not, I'll try to talk about that less be, just because that's the thing that is not like, who cares? But, um, there like when we talk about it when he does nail it, he actually does it really well and in this movie i really think it's he does this really interesting thing with the uh idolation of uh adults right in most cases people are kind of this subtle confident 
in themselves, like they're healthy or they're comfortable in their own skin. And they're also leading an adult life, like dealing with adult things. Uh, This is not a character that is typical in a Wes Anderson film. And you get that really through Rosemary in this one. Uh, And so they're in any Wes Anderson films. They're typically the muses. And this one is a literal like romantic one. Mm. And uh, they're they're like reminders for every all the other main characters, Bloom and Max, really. They're reminders that like they live in this dysfunctional bubble that was established most often by like past trauma or pain and serves as a kind of like, oh, this woman, she's an aspiration of what we could be. But I do think that while that is true, I think Wes Anderson is making a really, really good point about pointing it out, the nuances of all of this stuff how he displays grief, how grief connects us. He does do the thing, which also might be true. That kind of aspiration, that looking at her turns into a fetish or an obsession, right? I'd argue for the most part that dynamic exists and our baggage kind of follows us to the next person as we kind of try to find someone who seems like they're like, I don't know, unaware of it or overcome the baggage in general. It makes us feel safe. Um, But in this movie, he does Wes Anderson does a really good job of saying Rushmore and Rosemary are like the two things that for both of these men, man child, uh, men child, man children, uh, that one has an, as he's or like I think he says, I'm a kid, what's your excuse? Or I broke my nose, what's your excuse? But at least right. Max Fisher does have the excuse of this is his first coming of age. So I yeah, do think he looks the- better compared to Bloom. Uh, for sure. Um, but he also doesn't like dote on her in the same way that Max does. Like they have right. two unique problems, but they are both pestering this woman. That's true. We could talk about that all day, but I guess it's just like when you think about grief and you think about like past trauma for in everyone's case, because I obviously like with Bloom, it's not that he lost someone, but it's more of that he's unhappy in his like he doesn't like his children. He doesn't fit in with his family. He's not loved in uh, at home, like even though he is divorced, they are divorced because he's cheating. He sees his wife like, you know, flirting with the pool boy. Who knows what that whole story is? Tennis the point coach, is it looks like people who are in that kind of dysfunctional relationship with themselves sometimes do make monoliths out of someone who is comfortably right. Like taking, like that's why they idolize them. So I think that is really poignant. And Wes Anderson's really on point with that is he's actually saying all the things that we are saying negative about Max, like, Oh, look at this, like pestering. Oh, look at this, like this fucked up 15 year old. How he does dare treat he? them as negative. That's what he's saying. That's what Wes Anderson right. is saying. He's but like, in the yeah, same yeah, way as bottle up. rocket, it just feels yeah. like, like, um, boys will be boys and sort of letting him off the hook fairly easily. That's given the subject matter and the themes. That's all in the same way that bottle rocket felt like, and I did a show called Vonnegut, so obviously I like Kurt Vonnegut, but on that show we constantly talked about how as much as, as great and insightful as Vonnegut is, he had inborn prejudices and more importantly negligences around the woman's a woman's point of view or any kind of feminine point of view. Right. Uh, and just letting that be what it needs to be to make the plot work for the men or being fridging it a bit, you know, as the kids say. So Mm -hmm. I just think that's there, but I think it is 
it does speak to the aesthetic. I think the aesthetic supports sort of the philosophy, which is clean, simple, nice presentation of ideas as well as like the look itself. Um, because it's the reason it's, it feels like a live action Looney Tune is how straightforward and clean. I think some of the arcs of thought are like, for example, they're at the end when they have that final conversation, two things, one, it's very clean and straightforward for him to literally say, he says, no one got hurt at least. Uh, and she says, well, except for you. And he says, I didn't get hurt that bad. Very good, clean encapsulation of, I, you can argue whether it's earned or not, but it's very clear and simple and punctual of going, that's not what he would have said at the beginning of the movie, right? That's growth. He did it. That's gross. Or he he at least is saying in this moment, the right thing. Um, Right. And that's very powerful. And I think it ties, interestingly- to the fact that in that same se- in that conversation, like the on the visual plane of that conversation, the characters are being short framed for the first time, which in this context made it feel to me like the goal was to eliminate the space between them and make it almost seem like they were about to kiss, which is a weird vibe to me to end on. So even in that final like moment, at the same time, I sort of got felt that tension. Uh, so I think I'll be really interested to track it as a theme of Wes Anderson's work. If indeed right. there's something there or if I'm just I think there is my pearls, something, I don't know. I, I actually, like, I think it comes into the, at least the first thing that I thought when I was like thinking about this section is that like when Wes Anderson is good at writing children or people who don't understand the nuance of like what they can't read the room or their wide vision for the future obscures them Starry-eyed to thinking dreamers, about other people. Yeah. yeah, where they're just like, uh, you're not thinking with the rest of us or you're not thinking about other people. I think he's more he's he's all almost always dialed into the truth of those people. Like he knows and can read that. And I think to some extent, uh, from the you know, the uh And I think he knows grief and trauma himself. Yeah. Anderson confirmed that the like Max is uh, semi-autobiographical. Uh, now he's talking about his tendency to, as a child at 15, write school plays. Um, he does mention that he wasn't shy, but he does feel like he, he really applied himself in these kind of schools. Uh, and I think that that autobiographical probably extends to the fact that he was, you know, he's kind of in a way mercurial about things uh, in the same way that Max is. I think that there's probably truth there. Maybe Wes Anderson wouldn't necessarily say that in interview, but if he's already saying he's semi-autobiographical, I wonder what extent that leads to. Um, I think that, yeah, there's a lot to be said about Wes Anderson finding that truth and presenting a picture of these people as really, really, like they ring true to us because he's experienced it. At least once again, returning to the fact that I had a like experience a lot like this. And I've had multiple times teachers who are like, I, you know, we, we all have had teachers where we kind of go under their wing, you know, like, and you kind of idolize them. He's really nailed that here. Um, and I think that that's a testament to his quality as a director. And uh, it's interesting to me, even on the aesthetic level that, you don't vibe in some way because one of the recurring shots in this is when people read books, letters, 
various like scraps of paper. It's a POV center punched of their, you know, famous Wes Andersonism at this point, but of like the hand holding the letter and it's perfectly framed up mm-hmm. like you would be if you were looking at it in like a first person video game. And to me that the thought behind that is very similar to trying to refresh the way that uh, you know, computer interaction is presented. And that's a problem we're oh, working on right now. Oh, and yeah. I know you have interesting thoughts about that kind of run along those lines. Yeah. Uh, there's this idea in this film of recommissioning the past. Um, and there's this also, there's also, which I want to talk more about in a different way, uh, this idea of uh presenting things in kind of an artourship or as a proscenium or a, um, a theater theater of like, uh, we are being presented a facade. Right. Um, I think they both go hand in hand when it comes down to, uh, when we start to think about like the, what aesthetic Wes Anderson chooses in almost all of his films, are they tied to his form? Are they tied to his content? Uh, or are they just style? This one is really, there's a lot of unity in Rushmore because when you look to what, if you ask me, describe Wes Anderson's style, obviously we can think of a lot of images and stuff like that, but I can, honestly, I've studied enough film that I can boil it down to you. If you know the terms enough and just say, he is a French new wave filmmaker. (laughs) He makes films like French new wave, his editorial style, his framing. There's a lot of stuff that he does that. And when you look back back at French new wave, if you know nothing about French new wave, this is what it essentially was. It was this movement within the younger filmmakers and the artourship of the sixties and fifties really, or built in the fifties of this, this concept of the self of self identification. And then in the later films of French new wave, it was more of like cultural identification, but at the beginning it was always, always about self identity. Name a fucking Wes Anderson film that isn't named, isn't about that. Right. It's always about who am I and the, the, the conflict resides in how do I become better? And that's something that in, in our bottle rocket episode, I think we were hard on Wes Anderson for saying that he was like not genuine in it because he didn't seem to take it seriously because he was doing like a Coen brothers type thing where he was kind of making his characters as cartoons. This is the first step that we see in Wes Anderson's career where he's like, I'm going to make real people, real people that yes, they can dip into cartoon air like vibe but ultimately like this guy has real trouble he's got real sadness in him and like let's actually i was gonna say i think ultimately that also defines him is it's he loves to tell the story of healing from trauma not in a way where you are fully healed from it but Mm -hmm. the way that trauma impacts who you are and your identity and Mm -hmm. but not letting it not letting your trauma overwhelm you and become your entire identity, synthesizing it into your identity and becoming a new person and moving on from that point. Right. That's a journey that a lot of Wes Anderson's characters go on. And so kind of continuing that thought, we get this introduction of in this film, something that's even more interesting, but I, because of the framing device that he uses as a visual strategy, he uses the stage or the stage curtains, right. but in all films, like as you were saying, in all films of Wes Anderson, he kind of has this proscenium outlook. Everything looks positioned as if it's like a dollhouse or a cutaway or something like that. Right. Or it could be so a school he, play. Yeah. Or it could be a school play. 
Um, so when pr- Anderson presents his action, uh, I forget who said it, but there was someone who was like saying that there was these, uh, the theme of mourning and the frame theatricality uh, kind of parallel each other because the idea of reenacting and repeating the traumatic is like a, the style it's, it's kind of what this is all about. It's kind of like what Max is all about is that he's redoing the same thing over and over and over going through the motions, but like doing it in the way that he, he wants is something that is key to mourning and getting over this idea of grief. So this film in a lot of like, I think that's a smartly put kind of thing is that the idea that we're watching this as like a, a movie within a movie gives uh, Wes Anderson the, the the distance that he needed as kind of an tour to present these things as kind of like, okay, this is actually a movie about mourning. Um, and I think it is. I think that he could have done it more and it probably wouldn't have been even better, but it's definitely there that you can explain away all the idiosyncrasies and the kind of like... I don't know, fucked upness that is Max and Bloom. The mom's absence is a thing. Ch- the mo- by charting it back to their initial like unresolved traumas. There are various things, but yeah, but in his case, the mom's absence, like you say, more scene work could have been attributed, attributed, <laughs> assigned to that, um, or supported that. It felt like if you really wanted to drive that home, but it is there. And if you want to go back and think of it through that lens of, well, this kid lost his mom at age seven. Oh, that explains a lot of why he is the way he is. We don't really delve into that because the movie's very present and very like just going, you know, synthesis of time and place. We're here. It's now let's watch what's going on as if it were a school play, as if it were something happening in real time. But at the same time, the dots are there. You just have to connect them. And I think that makes it yeah. very, very strong. Uh, right. All these uh, extracurricular activities that we see that he does, yeah. they're all specifically ones that have moments where you have a presentation and you show yourself to society as this is what we are. We're beekeepers. And here's our beekeeper shit. Right. You know, like. And what is coming of age or that age, but not trying to reach out, grab things and cobble together an identity and be like, this is my identity. Like he's literally going through building identity. So grief is one of the things that it's like will cause you to. I know from like for my experience, it's one of those things that causes you to say, I'm what is um, what is your coping mechanism? Mm -hmm. Well, the process of you know, doing it, doing that. Not, I, I am not one thing. I, I, I can't say if I'm a, like, he's in debate class. I'm not a debater, but I will go through the motions of forming a place for everyone else to like, enjoy that or whatever, if they need, need to my, the thing that I love is the creating of the, of that space. And that's what, uh, that's, kind of what max is doing he's creating new spaces for other people to you know deal with their shit it's gonna grow up uh, to be a social media manager he oh god i don't i don't even know what this character would do with social media it's terrifying yeah, it's a nightmare <laughs> bunch of viral gaslighting shit that you wouldn't right, even know right. is advertising somehow but there's a real 
intimacy, a real proximity to these characters, I think that happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the first time, definitely more so, it's, Bottle Rocket had flashes of it, but this is the first time when we see his actual execution, the camera angles, the framing, the shot scales, uh, you know, just the, the stilted performances, not in a bad way. The sound cues that you noticed, Bill all the Murray disciplines sprinting of- into the distance suddenly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also find like all that stuff is like basically showing we get closer to the characters with these things. Uh, these strategies are done to relate to the characters and it makes moments like Bill Murray, d- like blocking the shit out of a kid even funnier because we feel like we know him more. Uh, so it's a definitely a step in the right direction in terms of his career. Um, it's one of the better films. I think it's quite close to being a masterpiece. Um, do you think it's called Rushmore because rushing is joining a club and he rushes more than anyone else? No, but I did think for a second that Max... His, na- his full name is Max Fisher mm-hmm. and the idea of a Fisher who casts a wide net and he's Max. <laughs> and so he's maxing, to he's bo- maximum To Fisher. both of our, the, both of the things that we just said, nah, All right. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, you know, yeah. Um, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson wanted to create a, uh, raw, raw doll children's book. That's what they said that they wanted Rushmore to be, which, you know, that that kind of scans. Roald Dahl is known for the introspection of children. You know, he his tales are a lot more personal and a lot more internal than most children's fables. He kind of took fables and ran with it in the same way. Um, Rushmore is definitely a coming of age film where you got the bullies, you got like you know the awkward dealings with sex, um, the overreaching character who thinks he's too much confidence these are all things that are mainstays of that tradition or genre uh Roald Dahl is kind of the same just for a slightly younger audience yeah what else I half see it and half don't but that's all I got for pedagogy yeah I think that that should be fine Unless you have any good more boarding develop. school stories or like young oh, I just boys think school. that the I think that the like chapel scene was very good because that's mm-hmm. very much so my experience is you have like one person who's listening who's like this guy's got the keys to the kingdom mm-hmm. and just the idea that they kind of regularly have them is is a silly thing uh, the aesthetic of wearing the school colors is very funny to me uh, wearing the, like the uniform because I also didn't go to a place where had, you had to wear a uniform, but like kids would dress up and you'd be like, what's up with those kids? Cause half of us are in like our pajamas. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just a lot of little funny things like that. All I can say and the more only important thing really to say on a podcast is I think he did. He he went to an academy of some kind. Wes Anderson. He knows because there's so many small, little, subtle nuances that are not interesting to everybody that prove he he's been there. Um, well, BTS says the speech about privilege that Herman Bloom gives at the beginning was inspired by an actual speech given by Robert Wilson, father of Andrew Wilson, Luke Wilson, and Owen Wilson at their chapel. <laughs> And BTS said this, the band. Yeah, behind the scenes, the band. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Look, I'm pulling from the same page you are, and you know it. I see your role, doll factoid three above mine. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Should we get Uh, into how do you do that? Yeah, it's how do you do that? How did he do that? Which is when we scroll through IMDb's trivia page and see what strikes our fancy. Or, you know, I also use... I use Abe has real things. information from... No, I don't. Film I, use, can, I, I just have like, a, like, like three or four I just have other sites. I do. Um, but yeah. I've revealed my process and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, uh, good. But, you know, a lot of people know the general uh, idea, but it's cool to note that this was the beginning of a big sea change for Bill Murray. And when he first read the script, yeah. he thought it was so fantastic. He wanted to do it for free. He was and really kind of started his career again. Restarted. Yeah. Very nice to Wes Anderson, supported him publicly, helped haul equipment. Gave, send, you know, when he said he couldn't afford a helicopter shot, he gave him a blank check, which ended up being $75,000 to cover the helicopter shot. Damn. Um, just wanted the movie to succeed and really, really believed in it. Big champion. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. He also uh, seemed to hate everyone, though, because it both says that he found Bill, Ronnie yeah. and Donnie genuinely annoying and that a lot of his bullshit with them was not was improvised. Um, but it also says, according to Murray himself, he disliked Jason Schwartzman's personality, <laughs> but eventually warmed up to him while they worked together. He also always liked uh, Wes Anderson a bit, but uh, mm-hmm. there was a story that I read, I think, from the same. I think it was from IMDb. Where I liked it that on the first day of pr- principal photography, Wes Anderson was saying his direction to him in like a, like, I don't know. I just like, if you want, you know, like in a, he was whispering and not really being like confident in his direction, uh, because he's so odd by Bill Murray, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then basically Murray base, uh, had to do a lot of work to, in order yeah. for Anderson to like, I think, uh, I think he had, he made a, he made a speech or something, or he said something to like the crew and stuff, building up Anderson so that he could have his confidence. I just like the idea that it's a movie about putting too much stock into your, uh, your mentors, you know, and in a same way, like Anderson is this meek, shy guy who's like, and Bill Murray, who's larger than life has to build them up just so that they can work together. It's kind of endearing, kind of shows me what their dynamic was. This was uh, a heavy resonance between the two Andersons, which we don't always get, which we rarely get. Herman Bloom, Bill Murray, wears the same blue suit throughout the entire film. He just changes his shirt and tie. Uh, You're saying Punch Drunk Love? Just like Punch Drunk Love, baby. Uh, Also... Interesting to note, the screenplay to this was written before the screenplay for Bottle Rocket. Makes sense in a lot of ways, because it's like a coming of age. Yeah. My truth as a young man. Yeah. Someone found all of the Charlie Brown references. I think it was Reddit. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the Charlie Brown's Christmas specifically references, which I guess that's something that Wes Anderson has done in multiple films. I didn't know about this trope having watched them, but researching for this podcast has revealed Max's dad is a barber mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, Charles Schultz. That was true. Okay. Max flies a kite, which Charlie Brown was right, often sure. doing. Max is seen with winter caps and carrying plant, a uh, plant to a which is in a scene with Charlie Brown, uh, Christmas, uh, 
the beginning of the December sequence is uh, is in a barbershop and uh, the music interlude from the show can be heard playing in the background in a scene. Uh, so there's something about Charlie Brown's Christmas that uh, Wes Anderson pulls from for his movies, which is fine. I just think that that's funny. I didn't know about that connection. Did you already um, mention the heat thing? Because I didn't realize the dynamite scene. I, I did, but yeah, it's the f- at the beginning it, of Heat. Is a shot for shot remake of the shot for part shot of remake. Heat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just decided to throw in uh, Heat was made, which is funny because Heat was made in '95, uh, and so this is three years later. So when he's filming it, probably it's only been out for two years, and he was just like, "Yeah, let's just do Heat." It's just weird. But I guess it's also like what's in the zeitgeist and what would be the funniest thing. Well, Max wants to be like a badass and who's more badass than Val Kilmer in Heat. Uh, so Elijah Wood was that. considered for the role of Max, which I could totally see. Would have think, also made sense fine. Schwartzman's I think he's too great, nice. But yeah. I think there's a sinister aspect to Schwartzman that he plays perfectly in this movie. Yeah, not to diminish Schwartzman's But, you star. know, what would Elijah Wood do? Who knows? Um, It's part of the Criterion Collection. I mean, I'm scraping the bottom, bottom of the barrel now. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you got? I got nothing else, really. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's, uh, there's... I have a question for you of just a quote. I want to know what you, what you think it means. Mm-hmm. There's at one point, it's Bert and Max. It's in the like not all's. It's in the all's lost montage, uh, and he Bert says to Max, "It'll happen, Max. It's just you're one of those clipper ship captains. You're married to the sea." And then Max responds, <laughs> yes, "Yes, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> but I've been out to sea for a long time." Yeah. What does this mean, and why is it like important? Like, oh, I, if, I think it's just a joke line. So the what's the joke? Oh, the joke is that he is delusionally saying like, oh, of course I could get any girl I wanted at any time. We both understand this. Mm-hmm. I've just, I'm married to my job. That's why I can't, that's why I don't have a girlfriend. But uh, I think it's time for me to go ahead and get a girlfriend. You, the audience, realizing mm-hmm. the irony that this guy is in no position to get a girlfriend because he's kind of sucks. He kind of sucks and he's got to work on himself a little bit. Uh, He's also 15. (laughs) Right. He doesn't need a girlfriend, strictly speaking. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Well, I don't really have much more. I think we hit our stride in. When Max fakes a bike crash to get into Miss Cross's bedroom, he plays a song in French about a boy whose mother died like his own mother. I, it's a song about a, a dead dying mother of cancer. That's all. Oh, I think okay. it's just a song about a dead mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That means we're that's done. cool. <laughs> that's cool though. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, choose a song that fits. I think we hit our stride somewhere in diegesis, which I think we shouldn't be afraid of. I'm not afraid of anything. Okay. I just mean <laughs> we try to get through diegesis to get to pedagogy, but I do think, and I say this because I listen to Gamefully Unemployed and they're better than us, but uh, yeah. we, it's okay to it's okay to pause and zoom in on funny moments and make jokes during diegesis. It doesn't have to be wall to wall 
making time, you know, getting miles under our wheels. <laughs> That's true. We can do That's funny laugh them up some bits and chuckles. I'm just like, why listen to these chuckle fucks when you just watch the movie? But I guess right. that's also that's why for why that's why you inject shit that you couldn't get from just watching the movie, which is our fabulous personalities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not our insight. Ooh, Spock reads. and Cortana are trending, so I have to go masturbate. <laughs> okay, <We're, laughs> well, as all Anders' sons episodes end, Mike's, Mike's gotta, gotta masturbate. go masturbate. We love you. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.